Oh, good morning. It's good to be here and good to be able to share and worship with each and every one of you uh, this morning. Um, <clears throat> actually, uh, uh, Luke, I think that uh, I'm ready for the praise team. Um, <laughs> I also sing all over the place, and uh, I've uh, developed that, uh, that quality. So uh, I think you're better standing here and me on the praise team <laughs> uh, than uh, I think we've got it uh, backwards and mixed up. Uh, it's been quite a while, I think, since I've taught. Probably, if I remember correctly, maybe back around Thanksgiving of last year or something like that. So it's been a little bit of, a little bit of time has gone by. And so uh, just forgive me if there's just a little bit of nervousness in, uh, uh, in it all this morning. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for your prayers for uh, my daughter Nikki and also uh, my uh, new grandbaby, uh, Mia Jean. There's a picture of her. Uh, I think you can throw that up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, she indeed is precious. Uh, she is our uh, fifth, fifth grandchild. And. Uh, of course, we've had her over the weekend since Nikki's been in the hospital. She was hospitalized uh, Friday afternoon, and uh, so uh, we kind of went from grandparents to parents uh, pretty quickly. And so I had to bring out my old uh, parenting skills and uh, dust them off. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody said at the back this morning that, uh, you know, you look pretty good after having gone through that. I said, yeah, but you should see Martha, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I pretty much uh, probably consistent with how most men are. You know, we, we sleep through the night pretty good, and uh, the mothers, they, they pretty well stay up all night. So, I, you know, uh, so yeah, I've come through that uh, fairly well. Um, it's good to have uh, uh, Willie, Betty, and Linda back with us. It's been uh, a little over a year, I guess, and so we're starting to see some faces back, and so we really... It's good to see you all. I'm glad you all are here this morning and certainly uh, glad to have you all back. Uh, one other thing I think that we've, uh, uh, that's uh, been mentioned or hasn't been mentioned probably in a couple of weeks, I think uh, one of the things we said is next week we would kind of just relax the mask restrictions a little bit. Uh, you still have to wear your mask, uh, you know, coming in and out in the foyer and as we uh, meet and greet and things like that. But at your seats, you can uh, kind of, you know, take your mask off while you're singing and things like that, and that'll kind of help relax. And we're just kind of slowly moving into a time where maybe we're kind of back to uh, normalcy just a little bit. And so uh, that begins on uh, next week also. This passage of Scripture that I'm going to talk about this morning Actually, I was able to, uh, I was given a list of some of the topics that we were uh, going to cover as we uh, went through the uh, book of Matthew and as we studied uh, Jesus' ministry. And uh, I chose this one because I thought, okay, this is one I can handle. Uh, you know, it's easy to chew on and so forth. But uh, I didn't realize that uh, it's probably about as difficult a passage as there is in the Sermon on the Mount. And so probably not going to say everything that needs to be said about it, but I certainly hope I can share some things this morning 
uh, that'll help you to understand a little bit better uh, what Jesus was trying to teach and get across to us and also help us to apply it to our discipleship and our walk with Jesus. Uh, before we do, let's just go to God in a little uh, prayer, so we'll say a little prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name. We're thankful, Lord God, for this time of worship and praise, Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear God, as we're together this morning, that you'll draw us close to you, Father. Uh, we pray, dear Lord, as we share in your word, Father, that uh, Father would lift us up, dear God, and that it'll draw us closer to you, Father. Uh, Father, I just pray, dear God, that uh, you'll just kind of take me out of the way, Lord, and may your word shine forth, dear Lord, and may we learn from it, may we grow from it, dear God. And uh, Lord God, we just pray in all things that uh, we'll draw closer to you and be the people you would have us to be. It's in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin by reading the passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. A few years ago, Martha and I had traveled to Kansas City to uh, attend the dance recital of my granddaughter there. Uh, of course, that was good times. Anytime we have an opportunity to see our grandchildren up on stage, and so uh, after it was all over, uh, some family members we went to a restaurant to have dinner and just to kind of share a moment together. The restaurant wasn't very crowded, and there were two two uh, waitresses there and another server as well. And even though it wasn't very crowded, the service was unusually slow. Well, you know, we were talking and having a good time, and so it really didn't matter that much to us. But anyway, along about halfway through the service, one of the waitresses came out and apologized for the service being slow and for other inconveniences. Of course, we had no idea what she was talking about, and uh, we just went on with our meal. But as we finished up, we got up, we got ready to leave. As we were walking out the door, there was one waitress that was already up front. The other waitress came from in the back, and she had a glass pitcher in her hand that she smashed over the head of the other waitress. Of course, a fight ensued. There was kicking and pulling of hair, and punches were thrown. And some of us managed to separate the two ladies and get them apart. The manager sent one of the ladies out through the back, and the other one went out through the front door. 
Of course, we went out the front door, and as we were outside, we were kind of talking about what all had taken place, and we were kind of still shocked and shaken from what had taken place. And while we were out there, the waitress that had went out the back came around to the front, and the fight started up again. Of course, ultimately, the police were called, and we didn't hang around to see how things turned out. But the reason that I tell this story is because this is what happens when people are just bent on retaliation. What begins as a disagreement becomes an argument. An argument becomes a fight, and the fight escalates to the point that there is possibly serious injury, and sometimes it even ends in one party or the other being killed. Now, the law, as we've read and just Jesus has spoken, the Old Testament said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And of course, we find that in Exodus chapter 21 and also Leviticus, the 24th chapter. Now, we believe that the purpose of this law was to ensure that there was justice without escalation. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime. If you hit me and knock out my tooth, then I had a legal right to knock out your tooth. But I couldn't go beyond that. I couldn't knock out two teeth, or I couldn't break your arm or break your leg or go beyond that. The law was intended to keep conflicts from escalating out of control, yet while maintaining justice. Well, the thing that we know is that because of our human tendencies, this rarely works out. In other words, as human beings, we seem incapable of keeping law. The Israelites to whom this law was given failed miserably in keeping God's law. And unfortunately, the society in which we live today would fare no better. You see, the narrative that exists in our world today says things like, don't get mad, get even. Payback is hell. Don't be a lamb, be a lion. In other words, you either eat or be eaten, you either kill or be killed. If you don't retaliate against uh, wrong or injustice, you're seen as weak and undeserving of justice. But Jesus came to introduce to us a new way of life, a kingdom way of living that reflects not the way of the world, not the way of this society in which we live, but rather the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Jesus set a standard for this kingdom life in verse 20 when he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what we know about the scribes and Pharisees is that they were meticulous law keepers. And so it seems like Jesus is setting a standard for his followers that would be difficult, if not impossible, to live up to. But I want us to consider God's promise to the Israelites back in Ezekiel chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. He said there, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when you come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, 
that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel's prophecy concerning the Israelites that were scattered about the nations, God promised them that he would not only gather his people from among the nations, but he would also give them a new spirit. Uh, in other words, his spirit would dwell within his people. And thus, the cold heart of stone would be removed. And it would not only be removed, but would be replaced by a tender heart of flesh. This new heart and this new spirit would enable God's people to obey his law to the end that they would be a people that would reflect his glory. And God said he would be their God and they would be his people. Beloved, this morning, church, those of us who choose to follow Jesus Christ, we are the people of God. It might even be said that we are the Israel of God. His Spirit dwells within us, and when we submit to Him and cooperate with the work of His Spirit within us, then that cold heart of stone is replaced with a new heart, a heart of flesh, a tender heart, a heart that enables us to love like God loves. With that change of heart, we are able to obey God's laws, not as the scribes and Pharisees did. In other words, not legalistically, not uh, with hypocrisy, not just externally, but we obey our God from the heart. It's an obedience that fulfills the law, an obedience that begins with a love for God and a love for people as well, a love for his creation. Beloved, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is sharing some very practical things with us, some practical examples of what it looks like to do life in the kingdom of heaven. And when we have this new heart and the Spirit of God living within us, he's not just giving us an exhaustive list of rules and regulations, but he's telling us or showing us what it looks like to fulfill the law. N.T. Wright said, the Sermon on the Mount isn't just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God and the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. So we see that this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't just giving another new set of rules and regulations and laws to go along with the 613 or so that we already had in the Old Testament, but Jesus is showing us how to fulfill that law through love and through this tender heart that God places within us. And so we're no longer a people overcome by anger and lust as we've studied already. We become a people of truth who don't need to swear, but what we say we mean, and we mean what we say. And then we come to this section of scripture here in Jesus' sermon, where Jesus is teaching us how to deal with our enemies, or how to deal with someone who would impose upon us. That's what he's talking about here in verses 38 through verse 48. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of these things that Jesus talks about here, not in depth, because there's really so much that can be said about some of these things, but I just want to share a little bit of overview, and then we'll conclude. In verse 39, 
Uh, Jesus said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What's Jesus talking about here? You know, we uh, hear this passage quoted oftentimes, and sometimes that's a little difficult for us to comprehend, especially once again in our society where this uh, uh, attitude of re- retaliation is so very prevalent. Uh, we often think that, hey, I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to lay down like that. I'm not going to be a lamb and just like have people walk all over me. Well, I think really what this passage is saying is that, you know, a slap on the right cheek was considered an insult or a means of humiliation. And you know, really, I think that that's really still the case because if somebody slaps us on the cheek, even now, even today in our day and our time, that's humiliating. Uh, that's somebody looking down on us and somebody looking on us uh, with disrespect. And so to turn the other cheek is basically saying, I'm not going to trade insults with you. Uh, in other words, we're going to rise above uh, those slaps on the cheek. Uh, that somebody would give to us, uh, looking down upon us, disrespecting or attempting to humiliate us. And not only that, uh, it's saying that we're not going to trade name-calling and insults. Uh, We're not going to trade off uh, negative Facebook posts and things like that. In so many ways today that we have of going back and forth with people, going back and forth with one another, uh, attempting to insult and belittle and run down the name of other people simply because they did it to me. And Jesus said very simply, if somebody insults you, you don't turn around and insult them back because if we do that, we have escalation. And next thing you know, we're breaking breaking glass pictures over each other's heads. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is saying this not to say, I'll be the bigger or better person because we're not bigger or better than our fellow man. Uh, We share his humanity. We're just as weak and frail as he is. But rather, we do this, we rise above those insults, because Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's not about protecting my name and making me better, but it's about magnifying the name of Jesus Christ and showing his love and sharing the fact that, okay, Jesus Christ has come to show us a better way to live. And then in verse 40, we get to verse 40, Jesus says there, he says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You know, what it tells me is that lawsuits were prevalent then, just as they are now. You know, today, uh, people are just lawsuit happy, and no matter what happens, it seems like, there's a lawsuit forthcoming. Now, I want to confess here, uh, confession time, you know, uh, every now and then I like to watch Judge Judy. And uh, uh, back when I was working, uh, you know, our first break uh, was around 4.30 in the afternoon. And of course, that's right around the time that Judge Judy comes on. And uh, there was a TV in the break room, and uh, you wouldn't believe how many men gather in the break room every day Uh, to see the episode of Judge Judy. But anyway, uh, you watch Judge Judy, most of the time uh, the case would involve uh, two people who were either neighbors 
or relatives or friends. And almost always, there was not just a suit, but there was a countersuit also. In other words, it was like, okay, if you're going to sue me, then I'll turn around and sue you right back. And in almost every case, because of these lawsuits and countersuits, there would be a wedge driven between friends and neighbors and relatives that was almost always permanent. In other words, generally speaking, it might have been two roommates who had been friends before that lived together and shared a, a home together, and they would walk out of that courtroom enemies because of these lawsuits and because of these countersuits. Well, Jesus shows us once again that there's a new way and a better way to do life. Because we operate, live and operate from a heart of love, in these legal matters and lawsuits, perhaps we as followers of Jesus Christ should seek compromise. And I believe that that's what Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to seek compromise, to give some ground rather than cause relationships to be broken. And even though we might be in the right, Jesus is saying that perhaps we should seek to bless the other person, that we should seek to lift them up. And even though they were seeking to perhaps sue us for everything we've got, maybe perhaps we should just view their humanity the way that our God does. Seek some compromise, give some ground, and come out of the situation with perhaps each of us in a better place. I know and I understand that that doesn't always uh, work out just exactly that way. And, and I think that that's the thing we have to look at when we're looking at this Sermon on the Mount. We have to look at some of these things with wisdom because oftentimes, I mean, if we, uh, somebody sues us and uh, they're going to sue us for everything we've got and it's going to leave our families and our children in a bad way. And so, therefore, we might have no choice but to uh, kind of defend ourselves in those matters. But I think what Jesus is calling us to is to, once again, from that tender heart of flesh that we have gained to look at the other person's humanity. Let me just share a couple of passages. In Romans chapter, um, in Romans chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, Paul said, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And the, the thing that we want to take from that passage is that, you know what, we want to please our neighbor, seek his good. And that's really what love is, is seeking the good of the other person and seek what builds him up. Recognizing that Jesus Christ, our example, the one that we're following, he didn't seek to please himself. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7, Paul said to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Now I understand that contextually, Paul was speaking about lawsuits between believers, in other words, between Christians. And in that passage, he was saying that Christians should not go to law before unbelievers. In other words, we shouldn't take our cases before the higher courts, if you will. That they should be settled in-house within the church family, if at all possible. But he says this passage here that to have lawsuits at all is a defeat already. And that why not suffer wrong? And I think that 
Paul is drawing from the teachings of Jesus here. That Paul is drawing from what Jesus said here about, you know, if somebody's going to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak also. In other words, once again, it's just the principle of rising above and going the extra mile as believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 41, Paul, Jesus said, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. When Jesus was here on the earth during the course of his earthly ministry, of course, Israel was under Roman rule and authority. The Roman army was always present to kind of keep law and order and to kind of make sure that Israel stayed in their place. The Israelites despised this Roman occupation of their land. It was a law that a Roman soldier had the right to compel any Israelite to carry his load for one mile and no more. But Jesus said, go with him too. And thus we get the saying, go the extra mile. We understand that that saying, go the extra mile, means that we're going to go above and beyond what is required. We do this not because Jesus made a law that says do more, but it's because we're motivated by a new heart and a new spirit, as we read in Ezekiel. We seek to bless and build up the other person. And so maybe, perhaps, just a practical application for us, maybe perhaps when the boss gives you some difficult assignment and says, get it done quickly, perhaps rather than grumble about it, maybe we should consider how to bless him Perhaps some way to make his job easier, some way to make him look good by going above and beyond what is required. And we do that not because we want to receive accolades or to have someone owe us a favor, but again, we do it from a pure heart, a part of love. And we're taking on the character of our Father who always goes the extra mile for us. In verse 42, Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Once again, <laughs> difficult, difficult passage, especially living here in the DFW where there's always an opportunity for giving and there's always someone who's begging and always somebody who wants to borrow and so forth. Many of us struggle with this. I know that I do personally. We ask questions like, when do I help someone begging on the corner? How much do I give them? Well, he's there every day. Do I have to give him something every day? Jesus says, don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Does that mean we loan everybody anything they ask to borrow? Anytime they ask to borrow it? In all of these questions, I think we're really asking, how can I comply with this law that Jesus laid down. But when we view it from that perspective, I think that we can fall into the trap of being legalistic like the scribes and Pharisees, where we're, going, we're being so focused on the letter of the law that we fail to ask, how can we bless people and how can we glorify God and act with a heart of love? There's going to be times when we're led to 
help and to share, to give someone out on the corner. Oftentimes, I think that maybe the work of the Spirit in us says, hey, this person really needs help. Give them something. I remember it wasn't very long ago <laughs> that uh, Martha, Martha had gone in the dollar store and uh, there was a couple outside the dollar store and Martha's really, Martha's really good about this. I think Martha's got a, she's, a, she's closer She's closer to Jesus' teaching here than I am by far. And, uh, you know, this couple outside, Martha, you know, she's always looking for ways to help and ways to bless. And this couple's outside, and, you know, they, they basically didn't have a place to go, and, uh, you know, and uh, they were looking for help. And so I'm at home, and Martha calls me on the phone, and, Charles, there's this couple here, and they, they, they don't have a place to spend the night. And... Uh, I'm like, Martha, what are you, what are you asking for here? <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it was, I tell you, once again, this, this is a tough passage for me. So I'm, it's confession time once again. But uh, I think when we start asking questions like that, we're trying to find a way to uh, kind of maybe justify our hearts a little bit. Anyway, in that particular situation, I told Martha, you know, um, I said, look, uh, go in the dollar store, and uh, when you make your purchase, get some extra money and uh, give them some money, and whatever you feel is right. I said, I'll go along with it. And I was really, I think I was really trying to say, don't bring them home, but I don't, you know. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, you know, I think we just have to use some wisdom there, and we, we act from a heart of love, and we seek to bless people when we can. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, once again, uh, we're going to loan, uh, loan our car to just anybody and everybody because that could be trouble and it may not work out very well. Uh, you know, there's just some wisdom to be used here. And I think it's really just uh, uh, having that kingdom heart and having the heart of Jesus and, 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 and sharing uh, and, and you finding opportunities where we can help and bless people, uh, you know, uh, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Uh, matter of fact, in even homes in his hometown, the Bible tells us that uh, uh, you know because of their unbelief, uh, he didn't work very many miracles there. And so, you know, uh, it's just once again a matter of using some wisdom there. I'm not going to seek to be an expert, but it's just about developing a heart of Jesus. Verses 43 through verse 45, Jesus says, "You have heard that it was said." You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I think Paul expounds on the words of Jesus here, and he says it very well in Romans chapter 12. Uh, he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. That's in verse 14. You know, Jesus says, pray for those who uh, persecute you. And Paul says, bless them. I think they're one and the same or can be one and the same. There's a number of ways that we can bless people. And then he goes on to say, Paul does, he says, repay no one evil for evil. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, 
for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And once again, Paul is telling us very simply, I think it's just a recipe for conflict resolution, if you will. In other words, rather than trading insults and belittling one another and and having these situations escalate out of control, Paul says rather, and Jesus says rather, seek to bless your enemy because we share his humanity and his limitations. In other words, strive to see them the same way that God does. Let me share just a couple of quotations and then I'm going to begin to finish up here. Dallas Willard says, he says, when we are personally injured, our world does not suddenly become our injury. We have a larger view of our life and our place in God's world. We see God and we see ourselves in his hands. And we see our injurer as more than the one who has imposed on us or hurt us. We recognize his humanity. We recognize his pitiful limitations, which we share, and we also see him under God. This vision and the grace that comes with it enables the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't really understand what they're doing. And in fact, they don't, as Jesus well knew when he prayed the same prayer over his murderers. I think that's well said by Dallas Willard. Basically, what he's saying is that, hey, you know, whoever your enemy is, whoever the person is who seeks to harm you or injure you, we recognize his humanity. We recognize that he's one of God's creatures, just as we are, and we share the same weaknesses, frailties, and limitations. And I think when we view it that way, Oftentimes we're able to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Another one, Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He says, nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political and moral questions of our time. The need for man to overcome oppression and violence without resorting to oppression and violence. Man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Amen. Amen. In conclusion, in verse 48, Jesus says, You must therefore be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And... Once again here, I think that we could look at this passage and become confused by it. Man, be perfect. Got to be like the scribes and Pharisees. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I think that Jesus is basically saying we should learn to love like our Father loves. Take on His attributes, take on His character, and we respond to people like he responds to people. Jesus said he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just 
and on the unjust. He blesses us in spite of us. Paul said, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we're imposed upon, whether it be a lawsuit, whether it be someone asking to borrow something, as an enemy who's seeking to harm us, or whatever the case may be, someone insulting us, whatever the case is, let us learn to love like God loves. Praise team, you can come on up. Thank you.